Let us pray together. Dear God, we thank you for your word, which brings our souls to life. And for that, this morning, we need the help of your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and to guide us into faithful living. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So we've arrived here this morning at the final Sunday of our church worship year. Now that might be a little disorienting to all of us since the calendars at home tell us that we have at least another five weeks to go. But the worship year, the church year actually begins with the season of Advent and takes us to Christmas and then through Lent and culminates at the high point of the year, which is when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus at Easter. And then we go to Pentecost, I think probably 20 or 25 more weeks, and we arrive here today, this morning, at Christ the King Sunday. And I invite all of us to come next week to worship with anticipation because we'll be entering into the season of Advent. And you'll see everywhere new decorations. And I see some new decorations in the windows. We'll see a new banner and we'll hear new music. And as I mentioned in my email this week, we're going to be shifting from the gospel that we've been reading the whole past year, which was Luke. And we're going to be shifting in the coming year in our readings. Just this coming Sunday will come from the Gospel of Matthew. As we come to the end of our church year, our scriptures this morning invite us not to celebrate with champagne and a countdown clock. Some of us were in Times Square yesterday, so that makes a special sense to us. But our scriptures this morning invite us to remember the healing and saving work of our Lord and and King Jesus and to recommit our lives to him. Now maybe you're sitting there this morning and wondering, what's with all this Lord and King language. I mean, isn't that just a bit passe and archaic and even anachronistic? I mean, don't we live in an age that's allergic to hierarchy and suspicious and wary of power? At best, maybe calling Jesus Lord might seem a bit quaint and remind us of how the servants in Downton Abbey talk to their masters. And at worst, calling Jesus our King can remind us of all of the less than inspiring monarchs in our world here today. Whether King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia, King Juan Carlos of Spain, or Prince Charles 
the future king of England. But if you read Colossians, this theme of the kingship and lordship of Christ is so central. And I fear that what is often lost in translation for me and for you is that back in the days of the Roman Empire, calling Jesus Lord and calling Him King was radical and subversive. It was not quaint. And not just simply pious. Back then, there was only one Lord. There was only one Savior. There was only one Son of God. And His name was Caesar. Not Jesus. And claiming that Jesus was Lord meant that this person had defected from the empire, Roman Empire, of greed and oppression and entered into God's kingdom of love and peace and justice. That's what it meant. And it was so radical that many people lost their lives for making that claim And many still do today. So let us turn to our scriptures to learn more about this king and to learn more what it means to live our whole lives under his reign. In Jeremiah today, or Jeremiah 23, we learn, we hear this story that God has been calling the Israelites for many centuries to sing God's magnificent song, a four-part harmony of covenant, of shalom and steadfast love and holy living. But sadly, their shepherds, and the reference here to shepherds means their kings, Sadly, their kings lead them mostly to sing this song out of tune or to abandon God's song altogether. Only a few lonely prophets, Isaiah, Micah, and Amos, keep God's song from being lost altogether. And then when the time is right, God sends Jesus to come sing God's song like it's always been meant to be sung. Two weeks ago in the Nazareth synagogue, we heard Jesus sing one of his first solos. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Now with Jesus' perfect pitch, perfect pitch, he now goes about clarifying who God really is, how much God loves us, and how God wants us to live. For three years, he teaches his disciples how to sing God's song, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk 
in a prayerful communion with God. And lo and behold, Jesus starts to invite new people to come sing in God's choir. Tax collectors. Gentiles. Folks who are broken in their bodies or minds or spirits. And all of these people with him start to make beautiful music like they've never heard before. But Jesus, though he carries no sword, and though he has no army, is soon regarded as public enemy number one by the political and religious and spiritual powers of his day. And as we learn in Luke 23 today, they conspire finally to have him tortured and brutally killed on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And with his arms extended out to the whole world, we hear him sing his final exquisite aria. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then Jesus welcomes yet one more person, a criminal, to come sing in God's choir. It's been said that God is sometimes most hidden at the moment of God's fullest disclosure. Let me say that again. It's been said that God is sometimes most hidden at the moment of His fullest disclosure. At Golgotha, Jesus' crucifixion seems to represent His complete defeat and annihilation. But after the resurrection, the early church slowly begins to realize that on the cross, Jesus has stunningly imaged for us, imaged for us the invisible God and who this God is. On the cross, Jesus has shown us the awesome servant character of divine power. Power that is used not to dominate and control, but to serve and to set us free. On the cross, Jesus has taken upon Himself all the sins of our world and everything that separates us from God. Everything that separates us from God, He has taken upon Himself. On the cross, God is drawing good from evil so wisely and so beautifully for the reconciliation of our world, for the reconciliation of you and of me. 
And so we've gathered here this morning to remember as we also live in another empire that confessing Jesus as Lord is still a radical claim and not just a radical claim, but it is a commitment to live a very different life. His Lordship begins with regime change in our hearts. And then ripples outward to impact every part of our lives. As it says so beautifully in Colossians 1.18 today, it means giving Jesus first place in every part of our lives. Not just some of them. First place in our relationships. First place in how we make money and how we spend it. First place in our politics. First place in our sexuality. First place in our church and in our families. There is simply nothing private or compartmentalized about it. And there's also nothing individualistic about it. Because God's song in Jesus Christ is so exquisitely beautiful that I and you cannot sing it alone. We need each other. Every voice of the cosmos is needed to sing God's song. So dear friends... What might singing your part of this song this coming week mean for you? Perhaps at work or school, praying for an enemy instead of holding a grudge? In your neighborhood, forgiving instead of clinging on to resentment? In the public square, speaking out for what is right and good instead of remaining silent? And how about all of our family gatherings coming up for Thanksgiving? Reaching out in love instead of pulling back in anger? You see, 2,000 years later, our Lord's servant way of the cross is still the only way that brings resurrection and new life to our world. A few years ago, a dear friend of ours went down to Rio to teach a workshop. And as you can see on your bulletin cover, there's a tall statue of Jesus that rises high above that Brazilian city. It's actually 130 feet tall. 
And our friend came home and shared what a powerful experience it was for him to be able to see Christ wherever he went in that vast city. Whether he was in his hotel room, or down on the beach, or up in the office building where he was teaching, or whether he was in the slum that he was visiting, he could always see Christ. Friends, may we as well, whether we are at home or school or work, or in the public square, in Penn Square, turn our eyes to our Lord Jesus and give Him first place in every part of our lives. Amen.